Welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. Remember, if you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, download, rate, five stars, of course, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. My name is Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I've got a special guest, Isaiah Jones, with me. He works in the critical infrastructure space, uh, the ICS, OT area, and he's been doing that sort of stuff a long time. So, Isaiah, do you mind just kind of sharing with the audience a little bit about your background? First off, thanks for uh, hopping on the podcast. I know you're a extremely busy guy, uh, but do you mind just sharing your background a little bit with the the audience? Just how did you actually eventually get into the ICSOT space? Did you start out in this, or did you sort of have a progression from somewhere else? Yeah, Ken, thanks for having me on. This is uh, my very first podcast ever, so... <laughs> You know, you you won the uh, Isaiah's on the podcast award because perfect. Uh, you know, I think Joe Pettit from Tripwire that was my first article blog ever. Garland McCoy that was my first time ever doing a presentation. Uh, then Clint Dungeon, my first time ever co-teaching a class or teaching class in general. Um, I've done some mentoring stuff in the past. Now you're my first podcast. But no, I've been around probably. I think I got in the technology and IT and cyber probably as early as 2004 back before I really knew what I was getting myself into. Um, kind of did it, you know, in a summer job, working for, like, a small health company, doing some data integrity stuff for, like, Windows DOS database. They were migrating from paper to electronic, and that was kind of my first get your feet wet. It was like, here, do this. You, you learn fast. And, you know, I just so happened to be, you know, doing my undergrad at Penn State in information science technology, and I was right on that cusp of choosing my freshman and sophomore year between electrical engineering and, and, and the new degree. It was like multidisciplinary. And then I ended up working for the Navy right after that. So my progression in the ICS was kind of, I stumbled into it. It was mostly from a national security DOD perspective, which is kind of where my career kicked off. You know, in 2005, I ended up taking a Navy civil service job. I was originally supposed to be active duty years before that because I was a cadet all through middle school, high school, was accepted into the academy. It's a long story on why I ended up at Penn State instead, but that was political and medical more than anything. Um, but it turned out to be a blessing in the sky. So I was with the Navy for seven and a half years as a GS employee, working on all types of stuff. So my, my background was more in the system design, system integration. Then I got in information assurance way back before we started using words like cyber that I don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. like. Um, but, you know, I mean, I learned everything from system design, integration, Lean Six Sigma, project management. You know, old school information insurance, incident handling, forensics, you know, pen testing back when we were still using Backtrack and Sub7 and, you know, cool forensics with Wireshark because we didn't have anything else besides Wireshark and Encase back then, you know. Um, and, you know, some old stuff like Helix Pro and a whole bunch of stuff that only law enforcement and military used to have on the forensic side back then. Um, so I've done everything from system design, integration, SOC work. You know, instant response, viral analysis, bear analysis, and then I kind of got bored with the IT stuff. Uh, my last IT-focused job was probably working in a SOC at the patent office as a contractor because uh, I called myself getting away from the government, which didn't work when you moved to D.C. after you resigned from the government. <laughs> yeah. First thing everybody recruits you for is, oh, you had a clearance since you were government. How about we put you on a government contract? <laughs> oh, I stuck around that for like about the first decade of my quote unquote IT, cyber and ICS career was mostly around the government and national security spaces between military and civilian agencies. And then I got sucked back into the DOD space because I call it Dragnet. Once you're an alumni, you're always an alumni. 
Um, probably about back in 2014, 2013, uh, the Marine Corps and the Navy at the service level split up the mission assurance teams, which a combination of infrastructure protection, jacevas, and other, other terminology that I won't bore everyone with. Um, but long story short, they were mixing multiple disciplines together on one team, like everybody from civil engineers to chemical biological folks to special forces guys. I had Navy SEALs, MARSOC. It was really, really freaking awesome, especially for me with that being my heritage of being a cadet and then civil service and a midshipman. Um, but we were the first team to go out there around the world, literally. I was in every combatant command AOR except for Southcom. For some reason, we couldn't go to South America. I mean, we should have figured out a base down there. Uh, but a lot of the major Navy and Marine Corps bases that you can think of for major fleet areas between Africa, Asia, Europe, and uh, obviously the Pacific, and then obviously North America. So my introduction to ICS was go fast, go hard. And we, uh, in full disclosure, I probably should have been wearing more PPE gear back then, but we didn't know better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was walking in electric substations with like the clothes that I'm wearing now, sneakers and some khakis and a hard hat maybe. <laughs> I didn't have my Smurf suit on, so I didn't learn to buy that stuff till a couple of years later. Um, but I did that for a couple of years working for a company called RMC. Um, we, we were the core for the mission assurance team, the energy security assessment team, utility technology assessment team. And simultaneously, this is where they tap into my background, since I had that information insurance officer, systems analyst, system design background, I was also double tapped to do all the risk management framework in DICAP implementation of security controls on actual control systems with all the OEMs because nobody could figure out how to do that within DOD to meet the requirement. So I became the everything ICS guy. Um, so, you know, that's kind of from there. I mean, I've touched so many verticals and horizontals that I've stopped counting. I mean, I think I've been at least six or seven sectors because the defense industrial base touches everything and people don't realize that. I mean, they use everything from everywhere. Especially when we start going overseas, I was seeing all types of weird, like, contracting deals between host nations and random third parties from other countries. I've seen a little bit of all types of weird stuff. Um, when Ukraine 2015 happened, uh, you know, probably that winter of 2016, they created a GS-15 position that enticed me to go back in government for round two. Um, I call that my year of political staff duty. Um, <laughs> uh, basically there I got in the FERC in a classified office called OICE where we were kind of dotted line attached to DOE counter intel. So my clearances got upgraded from secret NTS to SCI and Q and all this other stuff. Um, and there we kind of focused on the whole who's messing with our pipelines, who's messing with different parts of hydro, the bulk transmission grid, power generation, uh, liquefied natural gas, because that was at the time where FERC and President Obama, Secretary Moniz, there was a big push, if you remember, back in 2016, 2017, on we need to shift to liquefied natural gas and gas exports because the market's shifting that way. Right. Uh, so my group did the whole secret visits. So whenever DHS, Marty Everett, those guys were out there talking about, oh, we're out here doing these things with our partners. Yeah, we were the partners. <laughs> because whenever they crossed into a sector that had a jurisdiction like FERC, EPA, whatever, Coast Guard, you know, those were the partners. So, you know, we had a lot of joint stuff going on out there, architecture reviews and those kind of things. Um, then I resigned from government a second time because I decided I didn't want to deal with the politics as ZS-15. Saw way too many secretaries and commissioners that could barely spell cyber, ICS, or anything else. Um, and I got tired of arguing with them when I really rather would just be back out in the field. Um, so then I decided to try my hand at the startup space. Did that in a couple different companies. 
I uh, was a director of OT security at Fortress. And then I ended up joining Clint to try to build the dream team of ICS at Leo. And then there's a lot of people out there that know what happened in there. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Clint and Lackey and everybody else because we have an awesome team. Um, but that was an example of um, maybe we should all start our own company and brand it instead of working <laughs> for someone else. <laughs> um, and then from there, I ended up at Jacobs because it's a big engineering construction company. Um, and I've been there over a year and um, just enjoying the reorg ride of uh, what happens when you're in big construction companies that grow by acquisitions. I think they've had 75 acquisitions in 40 years. I just recently heard from our CEO. I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. that explains a lot of problems. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I just heard that uh, Acom just sold off some some spun off company to do cybersecurity and it's all federal contract work related. So you see a pattern here. The government knew that you should be doing this. They're not necessarily the right ones to be leading it. Um, and then a lot of companies are jumping on that. But then guys like me who've seen these other civilian verticals and horizontals is like, hey, who's going to help the public utility like on this side of the fence? Who's going to help the electric co-ops? Who's going to help these power generation guys that are just small mom and pops? Um, and I started to become that guy. Um, and then over the years, I've become more public because back then nobody really knew who I was. And then, to be honest with you, I wasn't allowed to say much. I mean, right. even when I was at FERC, the lawyers were up my butt just for saying hi on LinkedIn. Um, I used to have an actual disclaimer up back then. That was a huge paragraph of me trying to protect myself from fighting with the lawyers. Um, <laughs> um, but these days, I'm more vocal. Now you have me on a podcast. I've probably written like 20 articles and blogs now. I got an LLC where I publish my own articles now, following the advice of people in the industry. Um, I think that's kind of all the major stuff. We can get into funny stories, I guess, throughout the podcast. <laughs> Because um, I've seen a lot of random stuff over the years traveling between different places. So, yeah, well, I mean, since you mentioned it, what is like the funniest or weirdest story you've seen when you've gone out to various sites to to do your work? Oh man, I mean, everything from like people fighting with third party nationals who aren't even physically on the same continent while they're plugging stuff into sewage plants and substations in real time, and me looking at the asking them like are they supposed to be doing this is this in the contract and they're looking at me like no and i'm like you see why i do all threats all hazards which is what we call the dod it's basically when i do i don't just look at the network i look at the organization so i look at the operations the first day i do an in brief of like here's who we are here's why we're here we're not here to do an audit we're here to actually like learn your operation literally i'm asking stupid questions like hey what does this plant do what do you make how do you do it we spend the first day with them briefing us, everybody from quality control to production engineering to substation people. And from there, I schedule deeper meetings. During those deeper meetings, we do walk-downs where the technicians take me out in the field. I always find stuff that nobody expected. Like, hey, we found this little router in there from this Italian company. How'd that get in? I don't know, but we checked your device and it's infected. Um, and it's not connected to anything else, but that router thing we just found, yeah, that's a cellular modem. Um, it does these things. Oh, well, by the way, it has wider network capabilities and automatic failover to local Wi-Fi. So this thing's doing multiple things simultaneously and some Italian group put it in there. Um, I've seen things where we saw random foreign nationals walking in and out of hotels with satellites on it for agencies that won't be named. And it's like, do they know that this thing is here and it's not protected? Um, or <laughs> uh, do they know these people that are in the manhole that's getting into all the conduit for water whatever that pipe is, whatever's in that pipe, and I don't know why they're on the same manhole. Um, 
and there's water in the main hole, there's an electric conduit in the main hole, there's telecom conduit in the main hole. And, oh, by the way, it's attached to that substation over there. Um, yeah, this is a single point of failure. Um, all types of crazy stuff. People plugging in Best Buy devices and brand new electric substations while they're doing work because they're too cheap to pay the contractor to physically be there to program it. So they got the guy writing code and pushing it across the cellular modem that they plugged in. Um, cool stuff that I've actually seen. Uh, I think the first time I ever saw like power line communications was in Hawaii. I looked at every single substation. The whole time I'm looking for Ethernet, fiber, antennas. Like how is all this digital Schweitzer and Square D and all these other, you know, different vendors, ABB, Siemens stuff. There, there was a kind of a hodgepodge. I was like, okay, how are you controlling on these digital controllers and meters and, and breakers and relays and this MTU over here? Uh, I don't see any conduit. And they're like, oh, we're doing all that over the power line. You can do power line communications. And it actually sends a protocol, like, in a digital signal wrapped in the electrical signal on the power line itself. I'm like, yeah, that is a flat electrical network, and nobody's <laughs> monitoring that. And, oh, by the way, if somebody gets into any of this equipment, because some of the stuff you can just pull up and say, hey, look, default settings, um, you're not going to see us doing it. Um, so the whole debate when I got in the FERC on, you know, protecting different parts of the grid, yeah, uh, certain people didn't know what I was talking about, about protocols and devices being configured and programmable. Um, I'm trying to think of some other cool stuff I saw. Oh, um, HMI is being thrown in the dumpster, literally. I have pictures <laughs> of me dumpster diving. Uh, well, they thought nothing was on the HMI. I found the right, you know, NEMA converter cord between the voltage because it was like high voltage. And I found a cord that I can plug it into, like, you know, a regular jack, you know, at your desk. And I powered it on, and it boot automatically into a local admin account with the contractor's name. And that same contractor <laughs> used their name plus one, two, three, four, five, exclamation point across all of their accounts and all the equipment. That is a Not just for I that mean, customer. What a I'm strong password, did, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Well, the thing was is that half the people that did that don't work there anymore. And, of you course. know, it was, you know, it's. And that, that guy, I felt sorry for him because he was also buying a laptop from Best Buy while we were sitting there with the IT security <laughs> guy. And I'm like, you see, he didn't even know that you, like, who you are. Like, you guys, yeah, yeah. There's a difference between corporate and the field, which is why I tell people what you believe the company is doing, doesn't matter what sector, NERCSIP or not, trust me, when you're out in the field, if you don't go out in the field and do these walk-downs with these folks, especially in new organizations when you have high acquisitions, divestments, because that's, that's where the weaknesses are. They don't know what they don't know, and neither do the corporate people. They're, they're looking at everything from a networking perspective. And I'm like, the pump is not for the network. The substation is not for the network. The valve, the mixers, the fillers, the cappers, they are not for the network. The network is just the transport. So you need to go out there and learn what the thing does. What does it make? How does baby food make? I've been in multiple plants where they make infant baby formula. Now I'm very, very sensitive to those because I know how it's made, what kind of chemicals and bacteria they have to worry about that can kill infants. And I've walked through those plants. I'm like, uh, yeah, we need to upgrade this equipment. Well, we can't set that down. That's the only device we have that does that. Okay, well, we need to start figuring out when you guys can do retrofits because if, if that's the only device you have to do that, I'm a little bit concerned about baby food. Like, when, right. when you get an ICS, you start realizing that this is where our food comes from, this is where our water comes from, this is where our electric comes from. And the more we automate and connect things and we're taking mechanical out of the loop, we're, we're getting rid of mechanical safeguards. The people who know how the stuff works are retiring. I think society needs to slow their roll, start thinking through engineering and system design and system security acceptance testing 
and user acceptance testing. These are old terms we used to do, by the way. Um, I think we need to take it seriously. I agree. And, and I'm glad you actually brought that last part up because I think a lot of people, when, you, they, when they hear critical infrastructure, they think either just oil and gas or power grid. <laughs> And, yeah. and there's so many, it, like it touches everything. Uh, oh, and, that's, yeah. and that's why it's such a huge deal, right? It's, it's not like it's just a couple things here and there. So I'm actually glad you brought that up. So oh, yeah. for, you know, there's, there's probably a pretty broad audience listening to this, Isaiah. And can you just kind of walk people through what a, there's really no typical day, right? We all sort of know that. But what will yeah. be, like someone that says, yes, I want to get into ICS, what would sort of a typical day look like for them when they're going out to a site or doing some kind of assessment? I think it depends on what they're doing, right? So you see a lot of the, the people with the, the loudest voice get the most attention. So right now, the hottest thing that everyone's paying attention to, and we, we did the same thing, right, wrong, or indifferent, because I think it's a mistake. But we did this in IT, too. You remember the time when, you know, when all the sandboxes and sims and everything became popular? People stopped forgetting, they stopped doing the basic incident handling forensics principles, and they started focusing on the shiny tools, the network, and they completely threw out the fact that, hey, you should actually learn how the operating system works, how applications work. Well, we're doing the same thing in ICS. There's a huge push. The majority of what you're seeing on site is folks focusing on networks, which I'm not saying is wrong, but in a typical day, what I see a lot of folks doing is they'll ask us to look at their network or they'll ask them to figure out how to build an OT SOC. And the first thing me and people on my team will tell them is, what are you monitoring? Because you do realize these protocols tell that thing to change speed and open and close. It's not the kind of data you think you're gonna see. And we spend a lot of time educating them on the fact that they need to do an assessment. And then we explain assessments mean different things. So there's different types of assessment. I've defined what a red team is, what a pen test is, what vulnerability identification is. Um, what an all threats, all hazards assessment is. Because the first thing they're thinking is, oh, we're going to run vulnerability scans. We're going to, you know, do some audit compliance checklists. Um, and that's the assessment. No, we, there's different levels here. And this is the approach you should take. So spend a lot of time educating them. Me personally, when I see they're so immature, I, I start out with the all threats, all hazard Because it gives me a mixture of sample sniffing, but it's strategic sniffing, right? So that first day I told you earlier, I start off with an in brief of who they are, what they do, how they do it, and we get all the right people in the room. Everyone from HR to physical security to IT, if they happen to have mature enough security engineers that are doing ICS security, because I've been a couple places where they have like their own manufacturing IT group. Mm -hmm. um, they're basically as close as you're going to get. Or occasionally you have a controls engineer who was paranoid and thinking about, hey, this thing might catch on fire. Um, and they didn't know they were doing security, but I've seen some cool stuff where like an automation, a small mid-sized automation group, they program their PLC logic and show me the logic because I checked that too while I'm out there. Um, and they program badges in the logic with an, a unique string so that you can only use that badge on their HMI. They weren't able to scale it, but at their level, they at least were paranoid enough to look at role-based access control to their, their part of the plan. Um, so I've seen some interesting things out there. So the day... The day depends on what you're doing. If, if you're doing an assessment, it depends on what type of assessment. If they're pulling you into network stuff, then have fun trying to figure out alarming notifications because half of them don't know what that means. Um, and if you're going to build a SOC, good luck trying to figure out what are you actually monitoring. And most people will start off with what they know, right? The people that do that are coming from IT, right, wrong, or different. They're going to start with threat hunting, threat intel, the indicators of compromise, 
the alerts because that's where they know to start. Right. Until someone goes beyond that, that's probably what that person's going to do unless they're like me where they're like, nah, I'd rather be on the system design side and I want to actually know how this thing works. Um, it just depends on the customer and it depends on their ability to explain to the customer, hey, you probably actually want to do this first or these things in parallel and split your budget across these three areas. Um, I spend a lot of time educating people on that, building roadmaps. and DOD, we call it a plan of action milestones. I kind of just, when people say roadmap to me, I teach them what a POEM is and I kind of build high level. But the way I do it is I map out technical details in the appendix for the technical folks and I map it to strategic high level goals in the executive summary. So the executives can tab through, but the technical guys are getting, yeah, yeah, that task right there, I need that funded. And it helps both sides. Um, when it comes to the design piece, we're normally in there doing acceptance testing, design build. Um, on those type of days, you're really in the weeds in the project meetings, sitting there arguing over why they shouldn't just plug something up and, and just put it on a cloud application without looking at the security. Um, when they're doing the acceptance testing, you're really in there checking like the functional features, like why is it using Telnet? Does it absolutely need to use Telnet? Okay, how does the registry settings work? Why is it using name pipes in this part of the registry? Like it could get down to that level. I mean, it just depends on the customer, the appetite, and obviously you as the person that's coming out there as the ICS me, are you alone? Are you in the team? Cause I've been in both situations. <laughs> I've been completely alone and I'm sitting there with a the technician like, Hey, um, you know how that thing works? Uh, uh, let me talk to you for a minute. So explain to me how this works. Okay. Let me explain to you why this is probably bad. And you should worry about who else can do this. And then they start spilling the beans like, Oh yeah, Joe from this company over here, he comes in here on Wednesdays. He does that. And we're just sitting there shooting the shit. And I'm like taking notes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So how do you verify that Joe is actually from that company? I don't know. We just know he is. Okay. How about <laughs> this? We make a little checklist. We have him show his badge. We have them send an email that says, this guy is going to be there. This is his name. Actually, make them send you a copy of his ID if you can. That way, you know that that guy is who he says he is. You know, just little things like that. Especially like, you know, you mentioned oil and gas. When you're far upstream, around the pump jacks. Unlike the rest of the oil and gas sector, some of those guys have been out there in certain places in the pump fields. They don't do the safety hazard PSA. In fact, they looked at me like I was stupid and I didn't know their sector when I said, hey, everybody else in oil and gas is doing this. I'm like, well, not us. Uh, you know, so even within the same sector, don't assume that just because one part of the sector has a lot of voice and they're saying we're doing all this, that everybody in the sector is doing it because they're not. And then the same applies to electric. I mean, a lot of the NERC SIP stuff is bulk transmission and large generation only. The rest of the electric sector, which is a lot larger than generation sector, I mean, than transmission, all the distribution folks, other parts of generation, they know what NERC SIP is. Most of them do. But that doesn't mean they're actually using it <laughs> or that they can use it. And by the way, that doesn't mean it's actually going to help them with the actual controllers in their substation. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, assumptions. Your day can vary depending on who you are, what group you work for, what kind of team you're on, and, and what approach you're taking with the asset owner. Are you coming in as an integrator? Are you working with the, the vendors? You know, sometimes I have NDAs with Siemens, Rockwell, whoever, to look at their stuff. Um, it just kind of depends. So are you having a, one, one question I'll, I'll ask, because I'm sure some of the audience will be wondering this in their head. Are you having to maintain a 
uh, security clearance to have this type of job or is it more so just NDAs with the individual companies as needed? Security clearance is only coming to play when government's involved. And okay. since you heard my background earlier, um, I'll just say this on the podcast, right, wrong, or different, me and a few other people have chosen that. We really want to stay away from government for a while because that's <laughs> been most of our career. And to be honest with you, they have billions of dollars to throw the problem. I know some old friends, everybody and their grandmother focus on government contracts. They don't need me, okay? They got other people. They even have people that mentored me years ago that got me into this field. So they don't, I mean, some of them say, yeah, we still need Isaiah. But I, I would argue that uh, the electric co-op needs me more than you, buddy, because they don't have a billion dollars and they don't have anyone like me. You got 10 people like me that you just need to figure out how to better organize them. The electric right. co-op needs my help. The small water utility needs my help. This manufacturing plant making baby food really needs my help. <laughs> the the up, you know, pump jack guys, you know, uh, they need my help. The midstream gas guys, you know, I'm walking out in the field looking at their fence. I'm like, you do realize that uh, someone can get here and mess with this thing, right? And they're asking me, hey, how do I get myself to think like you? I wouldn't even have paid attention to the hole in the fence because I don't think that anybody would do anything. And I'm like, uh, you hang out with me long enough, then you'll start thinking <laughs> that way. Um, to me personally, um, I let my clearances lapse. I've had clearances all that time for the past couple of years. I, I mean, I had SCI, I had Q, I had random poly, all that crap. Um, people keep trying to suck me back in. I'm like, now nah, go talk to those guys over there. They're all still doing that. You don't need me. These people over here need me. And then I'm also focused international. Um, cause like I said, when I was traveling around, I saw a lot of things that it's still supporting the mission because the shipping company, you need to worry about the shipping company because they're moving everything that you're not thinking of. You need to worry about the food and manufacturing companies, uh, you know, public transportation. I'm worried about rails. I mean, Amtrak's already had multiple people die just because of positive train control. No one's actually looking at the positive train control system might not be secure. Who's doing the security engineering? Um, you know, there's multiple layers in there of public safety that I'm more concerned with these days. Um, and then I'm having, I have a passion towards uh, Africa, Asia, Latin America, because I see them as a new frontier for all the green energy projects, LNG imports and exports around the world. Um, and I think there needs to be more focus on those areas because that's, it's a it's an open canvas that we can paint and do things right. You know what I mean? Um, right. So for me, that's kind of kind of why I'm staying away from the getting my clearances turned back on. Um, there's a lot of other people jumping in the market because naturally they have billions of dollars. But Isaiah's personal mission is to help the people that don't have it. Yeah, uh, the people that don't even know that they should be worried about being attacked or that they should be worried about integrators making mistakes or integrators programming stuff wrong because they want it to fail in every six months so you can pay them to come in. Because we've caught people doing that in their code. They do do that. I mean, it's apparently it's a business practice. Um, I think it's wrong, but it does happen. Um, so that's kind of where I'm focused. Um, if you want to focus on those other areas, then, yeah, you need the clearances. But to be an ICS, trust me, there's so much work to do in the non-government spaces in areas where the government themselves depend on and they don't fully understand their own supply chain. Those of us that are quote unicorns that cross both sides of that fence. Uh, we've seen both sides of that fence and we realized, holy shit, nobody's paying attention. Um, <laughs> uh, which is why I chose to focus on the other side of the fence because that's still an attack surface to the, the defense industrial base. Uh, folks are waking up. When you look at commercial real estate, I was just at an event uh, with CBRE uh, where DOD kind of sponsored it. Um, and I was excited to see them 
ready to take the, the bull by the horns and just go out there and start doing, you know, control system security for the buildings because people don't think about it's commercial. It's a different sector. No one's thinking about, it, but guess who uses all those buildings? Federal government, military, Intel, um, adversaries target that stuff. Yep. Um, hospitals are in those buildings. I mean, clinics, daycares, people aren't, I mean, schools, um, they all have control systems and some of them have chillers, boilers and everything else that catches on fire and explodes and, you know, causes harm to people. Um, so you don't need your clearances. You just need to go out there and look around you and see what you use every day. And if like me, I'm in the 14th floor of my apartment right now. I see ICS every time I get in the damn elevator, come upstairs. <laughs> and every time we lose power because Dominion's doing something or a transformer blows, and I'm sitting up here without power on a Friday night. That sucks. So I'm constantly reminded of why I'm doing ICS on the civilian side. <laughs> Understood. Understood. So one question I have, because this is more a, a generalized thing. Many people think they need certs. Other people say, I need to get these graduate degrees. What, what's kind of your perspective as you've gone through your career? Have you found benefit in sort of what we call normally the trifecta, right? The degrees, the certs, the, the experience. Uh, on the job like what's probably the biggest beneficial part to you was it getting the education Tri through college was it certs or actually trifecta you got to have all three and i get in this argument with my friends all the time because i got friends a lot that don't have certs don't have degrees i got friends that have nothing but certs and degrees out the ass 90 percent of them aren't even freaking relevant to ics and then i got <laughs> friends that are like oh i have a pe i'm an ee yeah, but you don't understand how the system works because I figured out that all EEs are not created equal because if they didn't study control systems engineering, all they understand is that the power line has this kind of voltage and what a transformer is. They have no freaking clue the controller that controls the damn thing. I learned that the hard way when I was at FERC because somebody finally pulled me aside and said, Isaiah, we don't all know what the hell you're talking about. I'm thinking they're smarter than me because they're freaking EEs. <laughs> right. So you need all the above. You got to have the field experience. You got to have relevant degrees. Um, if you saw that post I posted on LinkedIn the other day, and that actually went viral, it's got over 5,000 views. I wasn't expecting it. I was just voicing my two cents that <laughs> the program at Idaho State University that Sean McBride created, it's sort of like a two-year associate's degree, and it's kind of focused at the technician level. And the reason why I like it is the degrees I have, Penn State made them at a time when society needed them, right? They may not be relevant. Well, they're probably still relevant today because I am who I am. Um, but at the time I did those degrees, they were new. No one ever heard of them. They're multidisciplinary. Like my undergrad is information science and technology with a focus on systems integration. I had comp side classes. I had EE classes. I had business information systems, whatever the hell it used to be called back then. I had a mixture of classes and they turned it into a degree because that was a need in society. My master's was in Homeland Security with a focus on InfoSec and forensics. So I had classes from counterinsurgency and crisis and disaster stuff to forensics and hacking and you know um, so his degree is literally like it's a two-year degree has some basic physics basic engineering basic process um control systems obviously to hands-on technician work some classes on basic it and then some classes on cybersecurity, risk management that kind of stuff it's like dude this this is what we need right now and you literally created a two-year program to produce unicorns um i think more of that needs to be done I don't think it needs to be a PhD, a master's degree. It'd be cool to get there at some point, but I think it needs to start small 
I think folks that need to take the experiences they already have like I did and see where they can map in and then continue self-learning. Udemy has so many free $10 courses like $9.99 with Paul Lynn on PLC 1, 2, 3, and 4 to learn just basic PLC programming. Um, the one I like now is Wired to PLC by Muhammad. That thing's cool. He's going over everything from circuits to relays to contactors to like how to use free software like Codices to make your own little HMI and program it to PLC code. I mean, I think the opportunities to learn this stuff are a lot easier and a lot cheaper now than what they were 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I think people need to take advantage of that. And then they should get the search, right? I, I'm actually one of those guys that advocated in DOD years ago that they should update the 8572 include GICSP as mandatory because I personally was there when we had people just willy-nilly doing stuff because they thought it wouldn't break anything. And it took down a whole base. <laughs> so it's not, it's not, I mean, it's not a joke. I mean, those things do happen. Yes, now you can do certain scans on certain PLCs. I've used NMAP on PLCs, but I've done it a certain way. I didn't just go out there randomly run an NMAP in a production network the way I would on the IT side. What I did was I used certain switches. I had a certain target. It was in a controlled environment, and I knew what I was scanning. And the only reason I scanned it is because the stupid I.O. module that we got from people I won't mention was using OPC UA differently than the main PLC itself. Um, so, yeah, go, there you go with compatibility. Um, some things are just on paper until you actually play with them. But I had to use NMAP in order to figure out what freaking port, and then we figured out they were using OPC UA differently than the PLC itself. Go figure. Um, so there's environments where you can leverage IT skills if you're coming from that background like I did. Um, the biggest gap that I see right now is everyone's rushing to do one or the other and no one's realizing it's a process. It's a journey. You need all three. Um, you got to do a combination of all three on the job. I mean, half the certs I did, I didn't get to take off work to go do the damn cert. I was literally, when I did my GICSP, I was between assessments, stop, study, read a few books like Eric Knapp, Joel Engel's book. I did, you know, the ICS cert 301 back when only two classes a year and you have to be on government priority list and asset on a priority list to get in. Obviously, the Pentagon said, hey, we need him to do this. So I did it early back in 2014. That's literally how I studied for my GICSP. I took that exam, passed it, and got on the plane the next day to go wherever I was going to do another assessment. So I was, you know, doing it all in real time. And personally, I think that's the only way to learn. Um, learning from those old timers before they retire, I'm always going to be grateful to them because half of them, I mean, just in the past six years alone, Half the guys that originally taught me anything about ICS, what an air handler does, what it looks like, they're all gone. I mean, mm -hmm. medically retired, some of them retired twice, right? They retired veterans from the military and retired civil service. I mean, these guys have 40, 50 years. In. Um, I mean, guys I'm working with now have been around 30, 40 years, already retired once. And that's what scares me is that we're spending too much time arguing over that instead of getting out there and doing it. We really don't have the time. Because half these guys are going to retire a second, third time in the next five to ten years. And who's going to replace them? And it's going to be Isaiah. I can tell you that much. <laughs> you got this, man. You I, got this. I tell Joe Wise every time I talk to him on the phone, I'm flipping it. I mean, I've been on the phone yelling like, who the hell's going to go? Like, where's the Calvary? <laughs> you know, like, because I'm on the 64 3 committee. So I'm arguing with people all the time. And I'm the young upstarter, you know. But I'm in my freaking mid-30s. But I'm the youngest one. Well, I'm one of the youngest. There's other people there now that are younger than me. But 
But like I remember I was the youngest person there getting involved in all this stuff. And and a lot of times I still am one of the youngest people in the room. Also one of the only black ones in the room, one of the only ones that comes from the neighborhoods I come from. You know, we're starting to see more women and minorities and poor kids, you know, from around the world get in this field. And I just don't see them moving fast enough. So I think we need to get them in. We need to give them hands-on experience. We need to expose them to certs, uh, professional training, like professional engineering licenses, certified on Mason professional. Uh, we need to expose them to online tools like Udemy. Um, and then we need to get them hired. You know, they don't need to be having an EE or PhD, you know, in physics. It's cool to have at least one of those guys around. But like I was saying on LinkedIn, I, me personally, if I'm hiring a new person on my team, I'm looking for hybrid experiences. Do they understand basic networking? Cool. I don't need them to be a CCNA. In fact, I prefer if they're not because those guys don't necessarily always understand systems. They're great at configuring Cisco routers and switches, but there's some, if they're hardcore CCNA, I've worked with them my whole career. They're not always the best ones you want to bring in when you're trying to solve a system and operations and personnel supply chain issue. If you need someone to configure a router and switch, it's good to have those experiences, but they don't need to be a CCNA. Does that make sense? So mm -hmm. I think you got to be strategic about it. Absolutely. So I know I've taken a good amount of your time, Isaiah. I know you're a very busy guy saving the world is how I'll say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to do my little small ripple in the pond. Hopefully everybody <laughs> else is doing their part too. Uh, any, um, any final thoughts, any, any final advice for, for the listeners out there? Yeah. I mean, um, if you're young or you're old and you're, and you're bored and you want to do something, I mean, as we're converging this infrastructure, everyone needs to keep in mind, do we really need our toilets to tell us, like, how much we dumped and, like, to warm our butts? Do we really need Alexa to start our cars for us? If we do, then we need to think about how it does it, why it does it. Don't just think about data privacy. Think about the actual freaking mechanics of what we're, we're messing with physics. We are having things that used to not work control things that physically move around us. We need to think about why and how and if and when and where we do that. Don't just do it just because we can. Just because we can do cloud for my smartphone with ignition software to control a pump doesn't mean they should let me do it because I take my phone around my six-year-old nieces and they will get in the phone and press the button. <laughs> so we need to start child-proofing control systems now. Because you're gonna put it on my smartphone and I'm gonna take it home. And I'm just waiting, and that's on my little list. Cause every year I come up with a list of things that I think is gonna happen. <laughs> this year I said we need childproof control systems because Bob is gonna take his phone home and we're gonna have an incident, and I hope we don't, but I'm thinking we will, where if we do a root cause analysis and we're honest, and then no one's ever gonna leak this to the public because astronauts don't like airing the dirty laundry, but mm -hmm. there's gonna be at least one issue with a pump or a valve or something where they're using that software. And it's going to be an accident. And it's going to be because somebody left their phone for five seconds and their kids start playing with it because the apps are on their phone. And you know how kids are with smartphones. They get in them. Mm -hmm. I've seen my nieces do all types of stuff at two, four, and six. The three of them gang up on you as soon as you walk in the house. <laughs> Uncle Izzy, you know. Uh, <laughs> first thing they go for is my phone and my glasses. Um, and they get into it, dude. My two-year-old niece, she reprogrammed my mom's remote. My mom doesn't know how to stupid TV won't stop talking to her. It's the weirdest thing when I go visit them. Um, but people need to think about this. Do we need it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? How's it designed? What's the functional specs? Um, secure coding. Don't just look at Java, C++. Look at the PLC logic. 
Uh, Jake Brodsky did a great presentation as Ford. Me and him have been pushing this issue for years. I wanted the 6443 to be updated, specifically talk about secure coding at the PLC code level. Um, these are things society should think about. Um, it's cool that we can do all these things, but now we need to start thinking about stuff I studied back in grad school, which I won't tell you the year that was, because it's <laughs> starting to be a long time since. I'm like, damn, that was that long ago? Um, the ethics, the morals, the, the need of, hey, should we be hooking ourselves up to this machine that's also hooked into this? Should we be hooking our cars to the traffic system and to edge of the grid electric charging all at the same time and make it all talk to each other? Should we be doing that? How do we do it right? How do we do it safely? And not theoretically, I mean, how do we literally look at the protocol, the function codes, the functional design, the specs, and actually test it, validate it, wargame it to make sure that if X, Y, Z happens, we know how to deal with it. Not just monitoring and threat hunting, but the actual systems engineering side and the functional testing. That's what I think is missing. And I'm trying to lead the revival on beating the drum of, hey, don't forget system security engineering is an old skill set that we need to revive before we have some collisions that nobody's prepared for. Absolutely, man. Well, that's, I mean, this, is a, this was a bucket of knowledge, is what I'll call it, uh, this episode. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm so I ranted on, and people were like, what the hell is he saying? And, yes, I'm from South Jersey because I say water, and people can still detect that, which makes me kind of proud because I haven't lived there since <laughs> I was a kid, and I spent 14 years in Pennsylvania. But apparently people can still tell I'm from South Jersey, so that's yeah, good. You, yeah, you never, lo you never lose parts of the accent, man. So, yeah, so. and I've been in D.C. so long, I'm, I'm basically local. Um, in fact, now I'm the mean local that's looking at new people in my elevator. Like, hey, dude, you're holding up the elevator. Um, <laughs> and stay out the left lane, all you transplants that don't know how to drive in the D.C. area. Please stop doing that. <laughs> public, public service message. Yeah, yeah, that. And if we're on Metro, stay to the freaking right, please. We've got work to go. We're trying to get to work. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, man. Listen, no worries, like, brother. Yeah, like, like I said, it was, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, happy to have you back on. I know you came on to get your first time out of the way, but um, happy to have you back on anytime. Yeah, man, I appreciate the invite and the shout out to Brian um, for, for linking us up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be on here as often as you want. You know, I might be traveling sometimes and you might hear funny background noise and uh, there might be a few F-bombs dropped and stuff like that, but I'll, I'll try to control myself. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, if anytime you're, if anytime you've worked with the military, whether it's civilian side or in the military, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just part of it. Right. So any, any veterans out there know what, what I'm talking about. And usually if you've worked around the military, you know what we're talking about as well. So, oh yeah. When I was civil service, I hate, let's just say resigning from the Navy and working at like civilian agencies and then working around small companies. <laughs> Yeah, it was like, oh, Isaiah, you can't say that. Oh, Isaiah, you probably shouldn't have said that. Oh, I don't give a shit. Uh, well, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, de definitely an adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, it's all good, Jess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, man, appreciate you coming on and uh, definitely appreciate um, all that you're doing. Uh, uh, and hopefully we can get some more people interested in the industry after this episode. Yeah, definitely. And uh, feel free to reach out. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Black Cyber Dude. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me, Isaiah Jones. Um, and you'll just follow the stupid ICS hashtags because there's a lot of them. And apparently, <laughs> they're trending. So, you know, 
I'm I'm just gaming the system because I never paid for LinkedIn. I just use all the free stuff. Oh, I'm not paying for it. Yeah, most of it is free. <laughs> oh, there's a bunch of fancy executives that you see in premium next to. I'm like, Haha, you're paying. I'm not. <laughs> I've been on LinkedIn since like 2007, dude. What year is this? 2020. <laughs> <laughs>